I want to encourage you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. The Gospel of John, chapter 21. I want to talk to you today about Jesus and your failures. Jesus and your failures. I could have talked about Jesus and my failures, but I am including myself in that title. Jesus and your failures. I don't know, as you look back over this past year, what you see in your life. I don't know if you've even stopped and taken the time to think about what went well and what didn't go well this year for you personally, especially in your personal walk with God. And it may not just be something that happened this year. It may have been something that happened a very long time ago. But when a believer fails, it's very possible for that believer to become so wrapped up in their failure that they're unable to go forward with the Lord. And so if that describes your heart today, I'm speaking to you. And I believe the Lord has a word for you from the life of Peter. And so as we look at this gospel in uh, John 21, and we read those verses in just a moment, I want you to put yourself in the story the story of someone who has failed his Lord miserably, who's ashamed of what he's done, and feels like there's no hope that he can ever recover and go on. One of the keys to really knowing Jesus and discovering who he is is to learn to read the Scripture and to really listen to what's happening there. If you really want to know who Jesus is and what he's like, one of the best things to do is just read the Gospels and watch Jesus Christ deal with others because the way he deals with others in the Gospels, dear one, is the way he deals with you. And so in John chapter 21, I want to begin reading in verse 1. This comes after the resurrection of Jesus. There are two sets of descriptions in the Bible where Jesus appeared to others after he was raised from the dead. One set of descriptions occurs in and around Jerusalem. The other descriptions occur around Galilee. And this is one of those descriptions of an encounter seven disciples had with Jesus on the shores of Galilee. And so we read in verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That was the Roman name for Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? In other words, have you caught anything? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now... They were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And by the way, I don't know if you're noticing all these details in this story. 153 fish. He put on his outer garment to jump into the water, which is really odd. Usually you take off your garment. But he put it on. And all these details, him going back, the distance from the boat to the shore, all those details are the kinds of details you expect in an oral account of something taking place, someone giving details. This is not myth, y'all. This is a historical event. And uh, when people make things up, they don't throw in details like that. So Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153, although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when he had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word and the power it has to speak to us truth. So we welcome your Holy Spirit here this morning. We ask that you would take this word and apply it to our heart. And especially for that one who has been afraid to face you because of failure in their past. I pray this morning you would set that one free. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, vividly describe Satan's strategy to render Christians ineffective in their ministry and in their walk with God. In short, he tries to get Christians in the screw tape letters to become preoccupied with their failures, to become preoccupied with their failures, and from then on, the battle is won. Because when you and I are preoccupied with our failures, we think God can't use me. I'm just a big hypocrite. I can't talk to anybody about Jesus. I can't talk to anybody about the gospel because I have so failed the Lord. I'm just a terrible example, and there's no way I can do any, anything good for God. But what you and I need to understand is what the Bible says about our failure. And when you and I fail, how he comes to us after the failure. 
Some of you have conceptions of God that are not accurate because they're not based on God's Word. And so as you begin to understand in a living example how Jesus approaches someone who's failed miserably, unless you see that, you're going to just be bound up just like C.S. Lewis described, and the enemy can't, uh, can, doesn't have to do anything else with you. And so here's the question. When you fail, what is Jesus doing? When I have blown it and I have messed up and my walk with God, maybe for you it wasn't this past year, maybe it was this past week. When you have blown it, how does Jesus come to you? What is Jesus doing? I want you to observe four things from this account with Peter. Number one, he, Jesus, is making the first move to restore fellowship with you. He's making the first move. In verse 4, we read, But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. See, he went to them. Verse 9, As soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals. Now, now what's interesting about that phrase, fire of coals, is that that word, that's one word in the Greek, that, that word's used only one other time in all of the New Testament. And it's used in chapter 18, verse 18 in the Gospel of John. And it's the same word that describes the fire in the courtyard where Peter denied Jesus not one time, not two times, but three times. Now, Jesus had predicted that all in all four Gospels that Peter was going to deny him three times. And it's interesting that as he comes into the shore and they see this fire, it is the word that John uses is the very same word to describe the kind of fire that was in the courtyard when he denied him. I see a setup here, don't you? Jesus is making the first move, and he's saying something very, very clearly to, to Peter. So they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Now, when we argue with someone, when you have a falling out with someone, and, and before you can reconcile, before you can get back together, somebody has to make the first move, don't they? Now, now for some of you, this is not theoretical. For some of you, this is really in your experience. Maybe you had a falling out with somebody at a family celebration. As old pastor, you're getting into my business. Maybe you had words with someone. Maybe you had difficulties with someone. And, and it's someone close to you. Maybe someone, a dear friend or family member. But when that falling out occurs, someone has to make the first move. And, and by the way, when, when the Lord gets a hold of my heart, typically I find that I'm on my way. Since he's the one that makes the first move with Peter, he tends to be the first one who makes a move in our hearts. And when we take that issue, take that broken relationship, we give it to the Lord, he often works that in us. But Jesus here makes the first move, and that's what I want you to see. I don't know what you have done, what makes you think that God can't use you, and that God doesn't love you, and God doesn't want anything to do with you. But I want you to know the moment you turn to the Lord, he's already there. He's waiting for you. He has not cut you off. He makes the first move. Second thing I want you to see, he is not mad at you. Not only does he make the first move, he's not mad at you. In verse 5, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? Did you catch anything? Verse 15, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me 
more than these. You ever wonder what the disciples were thinking? You know, Peter wasn't the only one that denied Jesus. They all ran, they all fled, they all abandoned him. I think if I was one of those disciples, I'd be thinking, boy, he's going to rip us. He has every right to. We abandoned him when he needed us the most. We let him down. I'm ashamed. I can't even look at myself in the mirror. And I deserve anything he's about to say to me. And the last thing they expected him to say is, guys, did you catch anything? Do you hear what he's doing? The first words out of his mouth were not condemnation, not accusation, not even a rebuke. But children, do you have anything to eat? And then when he speaks to Peter directly, he does the same thing. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He asks him a question. It's a really important question, and we're going to see that in just a moment. But there's no note of anger in that question. There's no note of condemnation or rebuke or, or accusation or, or what were you thinking, Simon, when you did what you did. None of that is there. So his first words don't reflect anything like anger, and so Jesus' manner is so unlikely. It's not what we expect because if it was me and somebody did me that way, I might think of saying some of those things. I might think of saying some of those words, but not Jesus. He's the most loving being you will ever know. The Bible says in Romans 8 verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because everything there was to condemn you for, he took to the cross. Every sin you've ever committed, ever will commit, he's already died for, already paid the price. He doesn't need to condemn you. He was condemned in your place. And so there's no anger here. So when you fail, what's he doing? He's making the first move. He's not mad. Third thing I want you to see, he's reminding you what it means to follow him. He's reminding you what it means to follow him. Look at verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing, nothing. And now look at verse 6. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Now there's something really significant here because if you were part of our Thursday morning men's Bible study, you, you, you probably recognize some aspects of this story. Because when we discussed how Jesus calls men to be disciples, we looked at Luke chapter 5. And when Jesus called Peter, it was after a long night of fishing. And they hadn't caught anything. And and when Jesus told Peter, he said, put your nets over the side one more time. He said, Lord, we've, we've fished all night. We haven't caught anything, but at your word, at your word, we'll do it. Let those nets down. And that time, the nets were so full, they were bursting. When Peter experienced that in Luke chapter 5, he went up to Jesus. He said, Lord, I'm not worthy of you. I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. In other words, Lord... You don't know who you're dealing with. I am not the kind of guy you want on your team. I am not worthy. And, and Jesus spoke to him and said, Peter, he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. 
isn't it interesting that after the greatest failure in Peter's life, that he sets up the same situation? They hadn't caught anything all night. Says, put that net down one more time. <laughs> the nets fill up with fish. And what does Peter do? He said, that's my Jesus. That's my Lord. He puts on his coat, jumps in the water. You know, again, that's strange to me. He gets over there to the shore. And I believe Jesus is making a very powerful statement to Peter at this moment. You see, a lot of times you and I have said, I'm going to follow Jesus, and we have failed miserably. I'm going to serve Jesus, and we've failed. We've fallen on our face. I'm going to, I'm going to follow God with all my heart, my mind, my strength, and everything I've got. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. The picture of fishing all night is what a lot of us are doing in our walk with God. We are fishing and fishing and fishing and fishing, and we're not catching anything, and we are failing in our walk with God. We're trying to get better. We're trying to be right. We're trying to be holy. We're trying to stop that sin and stop that sin, and we keep falling on our face. And it's a picture of a life where in human effort, we try to please God. In human effort, we try to serve God. In human effort, we try to produce fruit, and you can't. And boy, did Peter need to be reminded of that. Peter, there's a reason you fell on your face. There's a reason you failed. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own power. I didn't create you to live a life independent of me. I made you to depend on me. And he's reminding Peter of who he is and what it means to follow him. God doesn't say, follow me and do your best. He says, follow me and surrender. Follow me and give up your life. Let me live my life in you. Let me live my life in you. And so he's making a statement to Peter about what it means to follow him. This is how the new life is lived, not by doing your best, but by letting him lead and supply all that is needed. The source of many of your failures and your efforts to be a good Christian person is that you're trying to do it without the presence of Jesus filling your soul. And you can't, you can't. So when you fail, what's Jesus doing? He's making the first move. He's not mad at you. And he reminds you what it means to follow him. There's a life to be lived. His life in you to be lived. But not a life in your own strength. But the fourth thing he does with Peter, and I think this is the most precious part of this, this story, is that he's leading you to a greater love, not a greater effort. He's leading you to a greater love, not a greater effort. Listen to what he says. Verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Now, how many times did Jesus ask that question? Asked him three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. You think it's an accident that Jesus asked him that question three times? You see, something was, was missing in Peter's life. When, when Jesus predicted that Peter was going to fail, do you remember how Peter acted? He said, all these other guys may deny you, but not me. I'm stout. I'm strong. You name me the rock. I am never going down. I will die for you. I will do whatever's necessary to stand with you. And then I failed. 
So how do you fix me, Lord? How do you fix a follower when he falls on his face? How do you fix a Christian who has failed miserably and done the very worst kinds of things? You know, some Christians send their worst sins after they trust Jesus, not before. And I'm not going to take a, ask you to raise your hand if you feel that way. But did Peter sin his worst sin after he followed Jesus or before? So I think Peter would have said, I sinned my worst sin after I began following Jesus. I denied him. I denied him. Lord, how do you fix someone like me? And the way some of us would respond is we would come at him with a five-point plan for improving yourself. We would come back and we'd say, well, Peter, here's where you went wrong. Step one, step two, step three. And you've got to try harder at step three. A little bit more effort here, Peter. If you thought about it, maybe memorize some more scripture, read a few more chapters in the Bible, prayed a little bit longer. If you'd done some of those things, well, maybe, maybe then you wouldn't have fallen on your face. You should have tried harder, Peter. Now, some of us would give counsel like that, but not Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, here's, here's the real issue. The, the problem is not trying harder. You fished all night without results. The problem is you tried to do life without me. You thought you could do it without me. I'm not going to fail Jesus. Those other guys might, but not me. I'm made of different stuff. Every failure in Peter's life could be traced to the same issue. That's why Jesus asked the same question three times. You failed once, the question is, do you love me? You failed again, the question is, do you love me? You failed a third time, the question is, do you love me? Listen to these scriptures and see if you can begin to put this together. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. Mark 12, 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You can't love anybody with all that stuff and love something else at the same time. 2 Timothy 3, 4, lovers of pleasure, it describes the end times, a certain kind of person who, who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Can't do both at the same time. 1 John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word, who's obedient, who's not sinning, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. It's not that he's become more holy than everybody else, but he's loving God. Loving God. 1 John 2.15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. Why? Because he's given his greatest love to something else. So Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? You can't have two great loves in your heart. You can't love yourself and love me. You can't love the world and love me. You can't love your great sin and love me. Your problem is not that you love sin too much. Your problem is that you love me too little. And so it brings me to this statement, and this is where I want to close. A great love for sin is not defeated by a greater effort, but by a greater love. What do you love? See, what Jesus is teaching Peter here is that when your passion is for me, yeah, then you'll die for me because <laughs> you'll love me more than life. When your passion is for me, one of your great 
great, when you love me and you love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, you're not going to love anything else. He said, Peter, where you got to go is not to try harder not to sin. Don't, don't go there. Don't go there. You're going to fail and fail and fail. Don't go there. He said, you're, what you need to give attention to is do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? When you love me, you'll do what I say. When you love me, you'll do the next thing that I want you to do. When you love me, you'll get up each day and say, Lord, what now? <laughs> what do you want me to do next? When you encounter a problem, God, here's this problem. What do you want me to do with it? Lord, I have a need. Here it is, Lord. I love you. I know you love me. Here's my need. I'm giving you my need. I have concerns. I have cares. I have problems. Peter would write. Peter would write. Peter would write. Years later, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. And when you and I come in contact with the love of God, and the love of God is perfected in us, our love for God perfected in us, you will begin to experience whatever word you want to use, success, failure, whatever. But that's not the goal. That's a byproduct. That's a byproduct of just loving Jesus. Just loving him. Just loving him. Do you love him? You have a greater love in your heart. Whatever you love the most, that's what controls you. Whatever you love the most, that's what you serve. Whatever you love the most, that's what you give your time and energy to. Do you love him?